Hey everybody, I'm really excited about today's episode. I talked with my newfound internet friend, Kara Kirby, and we had a really great conversation about leadership development and how organizations can truly put people first. Kara shared about the top-rated organizational culture she's been a part of and how she built her business growing people-first companies across the globe. Oh, and if you're a Ted Lasso fan, you're in for an extra treat. I so enjoyed learning from Kara and hearing her story, and I can't wait for you all to learn too. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Kara Kirby. All right, welcome to the Building Thinkers podcast today. I'm so delighted to be joined by Kara Kirby, and we are going to talk all things leadership development, people-first practices, and I think even some Ted Lasso, so um, that's going to be exciting. So thank you, Kara, so much for agreeing to come on and joining. Thank you for having me. We're going to have a fun conversation today. We like to start sometimes with our connection, and this one is really fun because my friend Greg was at a session that you were facilitating in North Carolina, and he texted me, I think during the session, and said, Kara needs to come on your podcast. Y'all just need to be friends. You would get along. And so I think that that's a fun way to get connected when somebody makes that uh, makes that initial connection. So Yeah, totally. And then what I think everyone will find out pretty soon is that you live in the place that I grew up, which is so special. And I was listening to some of your podcasts the other day, and you had somebody on there and you were talking about how your kids played baseball together. And that's like the baseball place where I grew up playing baseball oh. like every other day of my life. I mean, it's just so serendipitous. I can't even handle yeah. it. Those, the sunny gold fields are a special place. And it is like, that's what was so unique is I think when we got connected, we didn't even realize that connection at first until we linked in. And then, you know, you go down I the was like, where do you oh. live? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was funny. Okay. The other thing that you said is that sometimes when you get connected to people, there's this specific trait that people connect you that you call it being a rascal. Uh -huh. So tell us about that. Yeah. Because I need to know what that means. So a lot of times <laughs> you're like, I didn't know I was a rascal. And now, now I guess I identify as that. <laughs> So uh, sometimes when I'm doing public speaking, it can be a little bit polarizing because a lot of what I talk about is the new paradigm of leadership, what healthy leadership looks like, and it can be, it can cause some conflicting feelings for people. We'll talk more about mm -hmm. this here in a moment, but um, so I always say that I'm a rascal because I don't hold back. I talk about the fact that you know, the research is flawed, that that people who didn't grow up with a symbol of leadership in their home or they have a low socioeconomic status will sometimes not identify with the word, not move into a role they're completely capable mm. of. And so I like to use data and research to back it up because the main person that I'm talking to is people who might not completely believe in themselves, right? Like they mm. don't identify with that tall, very assertive person standing on a stage. So they think they can't be a leader. Like that is the person I'm always talking to. And so I usually do it in a rascally way. So when people connect me with other people, I'm like, oh, well, that means that that person likes to push the envelope and they're a rascal too. So yes. that means you might be a rascal, Tracy. I don't know if you know that about yourself. Well, that's, that's exciting to learn. I, I think one of the ways I think about it is I like to challenge the status quo um, I like the idea of adopting a posture of experimentation. And part of this is, you know how they say like, you write the book you need to read and you teach the things you need to learn. For me, this is a constant battle against recovering perfectionism. Mm. Um, and so that's why I try to push to continue to experiment, try new things, um, to battle that, uh, you know, desire to have it just right, which doesn't exist. So, and that is that uh, is so common that battle of perfectionism and what you just said. Write the book that you need to read. You have you carry sentences in your mind, and they are so beautiful. And that is going to be the one that I carry out of this conversation today. By the way, oh, thank you. Uh, John Acuff gave me some language for having language, if this makes sense. <laughs> he says, um, give it handles, give ideas handles that you can carry away with. And I have been thinking about that a lot because I think in roles where I'm playing either a facilitation role or in learning experience design, it's about really helping 
make the complex simple and synthesized. And so if you don't, if you read a long paragraph that like is summarizing research, but there's no handles to take away when it could have been said in three words, I spend a lot of brain space on that particular spot, I think. That's true. Okay, well, maybe that will be my my handle that I take away today. (laughs) (laughs) Handles for the handles. Handles for the handles. (laughs) <laughs> a little bit metaphor you to start off with. Um, okay, so Kara, tell us a little bit about your journey. I like to ask the question, what are you building since Ooh. building fingers? Tell us a little bit of your background and we can go from there. Okay, so I worked inside of corporate America for about 15 years, and I had a really unique experience where I only worked for two companies for very long stints. Mm -hmm. And my experience was unique because they were both really, really great forward-thinking companies. So a lot of of people have all these war stories from, you know, the working world, because the working world, unfortunately, there's so many flaws in it. And, um, and we learn a lot from our flaws, right? I live and breathe the world of leadership development. And a lot of times we learn the most leadership lessons from our leaders that have a bad practice. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. I didn't have that much of that. I mean, I had some here and there, but I learned the good. And when mm-hmm. I was at my first company, they would do all these really interesting workshops. Like for example, when we wanted to change our sales structure, we brought every single person in and we had an appreciative inquiry summit with about 600 people and everybody drew what they wanted the future of the company to be. And then we actually did it. It was beautiful. And so we, we would do all these different things. And the person that was leading organizational development at that time, he was doing, you know, DISC seminars, which is a personality profile training. We would do all these really robust change interventions, which I didn't have the handle for at that time. <laughs> and so I sat him down one day and I was like, whatever you're doing, like, this is what I want to do. And he told me I have a degree in organizational development. This has been my path. And at that time, that field wasn't as, I wouldn't say it's expansive now, but it's more normal. This was probably 16 years ago. And so I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina. I had just moved there from Texas by myself. I was alone in this city. I I didn't even know, when I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, I did not even know it was a city. Like I had no knowledge. (laughs) Isn't that so so bad? Like, don't you need an address Mm -hmm. to start with, like to move somewhere? (laughs) Like they were like, you can live in Atlanta or Charlotte. And I was like, where? And... (laughs) I had no, I didn't even, I didn't, I knew nothing. And this is also really funny. So the people in the Southeast, now I'm older and I understand, but they call this the South. And so I was so confused that North Carolina thought it was the South. Because <laughs> I was like, you're like, guys, I can see the map. Like I can I see the like, name. I would go, you know, to like Mexico border towns. Like that's the South. This is the oh, North. Yes. Um, so anyways, I was living in Charlotte and they had a program. So I went and got all this education and organizational Mm -hmm. development and it just, and it just went from there. So I did lots and lots of different things from employee experience to leading leadership development programs. I had a really beautiful um, career inside of the working world and very long story short, I now take all of those practices and everything that I know that works and I take it to Mm -hmm. other companies that are, that are out there. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. That's so incredible. I think you shared too that one of your companies had 98% retention or something like that. Unheard of. Yeah. So that was the second company I worked for. I, I would have never left my first company, but I was super pregnant. My husband was like, you can't strap an infant to your back and like be on a plane every day of your life. And I was like, sure I can. <laughs> but he was actually, he, he's always right. That's his toxic trait. It's so <laughs> annoying. <laughs> um, oh my goodness. So the second company I went and worked for was, it was just an absolutely beautiful place. Like people would go there and become better. They become different people. We had 98% customer retention, 98% employee retention. It was a life-changing place for like almost everyone that worked there. I really do. I know that this is like a bold goal and it won't ever happen, but I, I want that to be the kind of experience that everybody has when they go to work. Yeah. Right. I mean, that is so powerful. And I am thinking about how 
Okay, maybe that is a big, bold goal, but the principles that underlie this stuff are not that complicated. Just when you gave the example of the company where they came in and did the appreciative inquiry, and then they actually, the thing you (laughs) landed with was they actually did it. Mm -hmm. They didn't just have a workshop that was a check in the checkbox to say, I got my credits and we moved on. There was a connection and everybody's invested because they were truly brought to the table, Mm -hmm. not in some facade of we want to get your opinion, then we're going to go close our doors and do whatever the heck we want but they were brought in and it sounds like truly engaged as partners in the development of the thing that they would have to live with because they're the ones you know doing that work and so it it strikes me as just what kind of gets in the way I mean this kind of goes into where we're headed this idea of if only people knew so in your experience what gets in the way of taking the simple concepts that are tried and true or are getting new language to them, to your point of some of the former research and things that's been debunked or shifted or whatever. But what are the things, if only people knew from your experience? And let's let's go down that trail. If only people knew. That, that's such a good question. I, I'm going to give a story on this. I had a group of leaders come to me one time that were putting on a leadership summit. It was going to be like a few hundred people. And they said, Carol, will you help me design this? And I was like, all right, cool. Of course, it's my favorite thing to do. And they had read the book, The One Thing. If any of those people are listening to this, I'm sorry, I'm putting you on blast right now, but nobody knows who you are. (laughs) I still love you if anyone's listening. (laughs) So they had read the book, The One Thing, and they said, we had, we, the senior leaders, read this book and we're all energized. And we spent three days reading and talking about this book. And now we want you to design something where you tell people what we came up with from this book. And it's funny, right? It's, it's flag. (laughs) Yeah. Again, I love you guys, but um, it's, it's funny, but that happens all the time and it's not complicated, but it's stepping back and saying, Mm. I can't make decisions in a vacuum. If I have gone down this bridge and now I'm, three miles down the road, I can't expect people to just meet me three miles down the road. Mm -hmm. So in that story, we went back to the drawing board and said, we need to recreate the experience that you all went through together. That's how you get to the results. Also, the book, The One Thing is all about a personal journey of figuring out like what Mm -hmm. is your most valuable thing that you care about in this world. You can't really like prescribe that to other people, (laughs) but I I wish that people would know. It's not even, I think that people know it. I think that people know it because they've been involved in it. I just wish that they would remember, right? It's always asking yourself that question of what would work for me? I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not a mama or papa bear that needs to guide these people along. What would work for me? And that answer will always take you to the right the right path of how to how to bring other people along. Hmm. It's making me think about two things. One is just this. It, it, so if it's not overly complicated, if it's simple, it, it we lose it sometimes. I think recognizing that is important because people maybe they read a different book and they <laughs> learned it there, and then and then there's too much information sometimes, right? And it's like always the next thing instead of just like the time to slow down and mm-hmm. think to just really give yourself time. And we're so busy, uh, overscheduled, busy, and, and in complicated systems that that seems almost out of reach until we crash on the weekends yeah. or like burn out. And so I think that that's a piece of this is before we just rush into saying we need this training, we need this experience, pausing. And even in, I know there's all the systems of needs analysis and all of that, but even there, like just pause first and really take some time on the front end. And then the other thing that this is making me think about is this comes from the Clayton Christensen Institute. There's an author there, Tom Arnett, and he wrote a beautiful blog post about seeing is believing. Mm. And he talks about these concepts that really stuck with me of value and efficacy. And he says in that post that people don't make a change unless they believe it has value Mm and then they believe that they can do it, then that's the efficacy piece of it. I think that oftentimes, you know, when we're facing a challenge, like working on something with a client, it goes back to that 
change management. And sometimes we have to go back to the why and say, why this is why we're asking to do this change. And they're like, oh, you know, then it's almost like a switch. Like, of course, then I'll do it because I now understand the why instead of just spending all this effort and push, push, push and try to get them to do it. And then I also understand that sometimes they do understand why, but then they're stuck in the, I literally don't know how to pull it off. Mm -hmm. There's, and then that's where there is definitely some knowledge or skill gap that can be addressed with learning and development. When it's in that efficacy piece, sometimes it comes off as disguised fear. Like there will be people that'll push back and say, I don't want to do that. I don't do that. And when you get to the heart of it, it's usually one of these two things. They don't understand why the value, or they don't believe in their ability to pull it off. And if we, if we can't, you know, anyone that's involved in that development process or in leadership can't pause and decipher some of that or have a system to help do that, then I think that that's where we get off to the races with very little success in the long run of efficacy of the enablement programs or whatever that we're trying to do. I don't know. Have you seen that, any of that to be true? I actually really love, I I love that simplified language, like value and efficacy. Um, I I think that that could be really powerful for people let, let me, I'm going to add on, I want to build on this idea because we're building thinking today. Yes. Um, yes, yes. So uh, the, the, these are two things that I, that I really love when it comes to change as well. And then that's going to be my new third one that I'm going to steal from you. So the one, one thing is, is that this is, this comes from the work of adaptive leadership is that people actually are not scared of change. They're feel they're fearful of loss. So I think that if leaders or if somebody in an organization, somebody in a community, when they're making a change, can ask themselves that simple question of what might people be afraid of if we make this change? What kind of loss might make sense to them? So an example of this is if you have somebody who I work with a lot of startups, a lot of small companies, if they're bringing, they want to bring in like a heavy hitter, they want to bring in a new leadership. Um, person, right? And like, what does that mean to the people on their team? Or if they're putting more levels inside their organization, it might it might be signaling to the people on the team that they're not good enough to move into that management level, right? So it's it's just taking that time, just like you said, and saying what might be misconstrued as a loss, and can I address it and work through it with these people, right? The second. Oh. <laughs> That's great. Well, I it, it one thing real quick yeah. is that we need to come back around to this. It makes me think I just have a visual in my head of that process you just described. So we'll come back. Yeah, to no. And I, yes, please go draw it. I love it. Um, I, yes, I mean, it's such a, again, none of this is rocket science. It's just taking the time mm-hmm. to ask yourself these questions of what is the human experience. The second thing is um, one of the assessments that I use and I, and I teach is called whole brain thinking. I think one of the most valuable systems that is inside of that is understanding the way that I think is different from the people that are around me. And people, people hear what they care about. So if you're a logical thinker, you just want to know if you're saving money, if you're going to make money, right? If you're a procedural thinker, you just want to know that efficacy part. It's like, I don't, I don't care about these big ideas or saving money. Is it actually going to be tangible? tangible. If you are a people person, you only care if the if the product, if the people, if the customer is going to benefit. And if you're a big innovative thinker, you only care about big, shiny, innovative, um, synthesizing projects. So I think that's the other thing with change management is being able to speak so that it's important to everybody. And yeah, so those are my two things. Talk about the loss and recognize if you are communicating and you're talking about change only through your lens. Mm. Yeah, that's so powerful. I'm wondering if we can go into what it was like. Can you talk to us a little bit about your journey to becoming an entrepreneur and anything about kind of the early side of that journey that you've learned? So maybe this sentence stem now is, if only people knew that and the entrepreneur lens, because I think we have some of those. Listeners. Yeah. Okay. I, it's, it's interesting because I still feel like such a novice when it becomes, when it comes to entrepreneurship. Right. And I, and the other day I had this thought, I was like, my business has actually almost been open for two years. I might not be as much of a freshman as I still am in my mind. Right. Um, and, and because my advice to people, and I think also being a woman, my advice to people is, is a little bit different from the textbook. Mm -hmm. This is what you learn in business school, go off and implement this one playbook. 
So I, and so sometimes I'm scared. I'll be really honest. Like sometimes I'm scared to give my advice because I'm like, who am I to be able to go against what the normal talk track is that people always hear? I wrote about this on LinkedIn the other day. I was at this conference and there's these two women who are just so dynamic and amazing. And they just started this biotech startup and they came up to me and said that like any chance or any opportunity that these guys can get, not all of them, but they'll have these, you know, like these, these bros come up to them and just kind of like demean them and be like, do you have a plan? Do you know who your niche market is? Do you know this? Do you know this? And they, I mean, they have, they're worldwide already. They've only been in business a year. Their product has spread to the world. They have eight people on their team. I mean, they are killing it, but it's like the same talk track keeps coming at them and it makes them feel like, doubtful of themselves, even though they're doing beautiful things. So if people only knew, I would say that it's hard. Your mind wants to keep you safe. Your mind wants to keep you in status quo and you have to fight that. And I would say, don't fight it alone. I was in therapy like every single week with my therapist being like, is my whole family gonna just like crumble and my livelihood? And I've got some really weird things in my head when it comes to finances. And I don't know if it's just me, but there's this fear in my mind that I'm going to lose everything I've built for the past 15 years. When you do something new, you are, you are in a blanket of fear. So, mm -hmm. and, and the other side is not that scary. Honestly, people are cheering for you. They, they want you to succeed. And yeah, so I, I would say that's hard. And then the other thing is you are going to get all this, this advice coming at you and it's okay to try stuff. It's okay to fail. It's okay to, it's okay to not be perfect all the time. And I just, I feel like entrepreneurs can't hear that enough. Hmm. It's so powerful. I think that the point to not kind of going it alone, I think that's one of the mm -hmm. things that maybe I'm kind of unraveling <laughs> some of this fear for myself. And I think one of the things about the structure of an organization or the structure of a secure job of some sort is that that in and of itself, that structure feels like safety mm -hmm. to us. It's like, I know I'm going to get this paycheck. I know it's going to look like this. And the entrepreneurial journey that's outside of that um, looks different. And so it is this speaking continually, reworking the soundtracks in our mind of you know, from wherever they are. Um, this this comes from John Acuff's soundtracks. He talks about taking the negative soundtracks that are in our mind and identifying those yes. and then retiring them <laughs> and replacing them. And I find that really helpful because, and he even speaks to the fact that it's not a one-time Thing. And I found that really helpful because I was like, okay, I get the system. And I had identified some of the soundtracks. I had written new <sighs> ones. And then the old ones would come back. And I was like, wait, jerks. Um, <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> and, and, and then I read that part and he was like, this is going to happen. And it's really connecting with me of this idea of fear because, um, not to over-therapize, but since we've <laughs> talked about therapy, I think that if all of our emotions are a source of wisdom instead of something oh. to be like over managed, if, if those emotions are wisdom, then fear, even though it is a negative feeling emotion, what is that pointing you to? And so, for example, um, there was a period of time where I was a part of a team where we were taking all of our in-person sessions that we had built for the last several years and we're really proud of that content and then the pandemic hit and so we needed to pivot and not panic and we the team helped that transition from those in-person to make them online but like truly interactive online engaging sessions it's a lot were, of work ended up being scalable and all of that right and so in some of those first sessions where i was one of the first people that was on like welcoming everybody right like kind of the mc that fear was really present at the beginning because it was new, it was different, and I knew I had the skill set to pull it off, but we were doing things in a different way, and there wasn't a model mm -hmm. really for exactly how we were trying to accomplish this. And so I could beat myself up and be like, oh, silly, why are you being afraid? You can totally do this, all that. Instead, the shift is, 
what is that fear pointing to? Well, I really care about this work. Yeah. This work is impacting a lot of people. And I, at the core, care about the shifts that it is about making. And so then it's like, okay, that makes sense to have part of being a good partner on this team is that I do care enough to make sure this works and figure out what plan B is if the internet goes <laughs> off and we have 200 people in an online interactive session and small group breakouts. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, retire and replace, I think. And, and I think that what you said too, that's so important, is that even when you get successful doing that one time, like one time, it'll, it can still creep back in. And, and if you're not aware of it, you can you can find yourself at where you're just in this pit of fear, where you're just like, nothing's gonna work. Yes. No one's ever gonna hire me again. Everybody hates me. Everything that I say isn't smart. You know, like your mind takes you to the, to the it's not like, hey, like you're doing a great job. And like, you've been successful so far. You're probably going to keep being successful. It's like, nope, the world's going to end. You should probably just quit everything right now. <laughs> oh, you're just speaking to me. Thank you. So one of the things that that was making me think about too is this idea of connections and community. Mm -hmm. And the term networking gets such a bad rep, right? Because of the way that many do it or the way that many people have experienced it. I found my notes, I just posted this the other day, but I found my notes on, I think it was a couple months back, I read Marie Kondo, um, Joy at Work. Oh, nice, and, I haven't read that. Um, I didn't know she wrote a workbook. Wait, this is the same Marie Kondo that did the tidying up. Uh-huh. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So I would say overall, it, it's not my most highly recommended <laughs> book, but I'm bringing I'm bringing it up because like it had some great points, but it was kind of like yeah. you know, here and there. But, it was one um, of those where it's like the whole point is in the first chapter, and then the rest is case studies. Like kind of like there were yes, a little yeah, bit of that. Okay. Um, sorry, sorry, Maria. I yeah, love your Ugh, processes. Yeah, your show. And, and you've totally changed my house to and all totally. that. Totally. <laughs> So anyway, um, but I, so I did sketch notes of this and one of the things that I came back to was networking as a source of joy. Uh. And I drew this triangle and I've got one part of the triangle that says comfortable revealing setbacks and seeking counsel. Another part of the triangle says care about your development and success. And another part says want to help and you want to spend time with them. Yeah. And in my last um, several months of trying to work to grow some of the business that I'm doing in some new spaces, I have experienced this time and again. Um, I love it. You are you are my new internet <laughs> friend that's an example of this. And, and I have like 15 other people that, that were friends in different ways but have given me time and um, just free advice and support and listened and edited things. And I'm just thinking about in the same way that you were speaking about, I wish everybody could have these experiences at mm -hmm. work that work would feel that way. I feel that way about this networking too. And I think sometimes people that are starting something or trying are like lurking <laughs> online and like looking at everything else, but they're not deeply engaging. And it's this piece of comfortable revealing setbacks and seeking counsel. And I think if we don't do that, we stay in that fear and we stay in the, I'm the only oh, one, or, I can't sure. figure it out or... And as soon as you say it in a safe place where, where it's not just advice, but it's like listening and advice when appropriate, it just makes you feel not alone. And that this world, back to kind of our beginning, like is so small and yet so big. There could be somebody around the corner that could help you figure out your click funnels or something to like <laughs> just get in front of the right people to do the work you were created to do. And so one other thought that's coming to me is Seth Godin talks about, is it a dip or a cliff? Mm when going through something hard and sometimes it is it's a cliff and you should like pivot and change and do something else but a lot of times it is this dip where it's like you could be like going down 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 before you get to their side and and entrepreneurship is like that because i think a lot of people do stop somewhere along that way and you hear story after story of the people that just they keep going until they get there and then they continue to refine from that place so um, anyway, that's just been on my mind. So I don't know if any of that no, resonates for you. No, <laughs> I, I, th this is, I can't even tell you how much it resonates for me. I feel like, especially in the consulting world, um, people who do things like you and I do, it can be very lonely and you have to acknowledge that it can be lonely, right? And, and build, I always say I'm building an ecosystem. Like I want people, mm. I want 
anyone who has an expertise or a love of their work to feel like they can, if you want to work at a company, that's fine. But if you want to go off and do things on your own, that you can go and do that too. But one of the things you have to realize is that you do need that community or else you feel like I had the, the immense privilege to start my company alongside one of my dearest friends from my old company. Mm-hmm. And he and I always say that like, we could not have done this without each other. And, and like the more, like even meeting you, meeting all the rascals that people connect me with, <laughs> it, it's, it's become such a beautiful, unexpected thing in my life because, yeah. because the more that you have that community, it just makes, it just makes things better. So if anybody's listening and you are starting that journey, get people at your table and be authentic and talk and, and talk about money and talk about strategy and talk about the things that you're good at, the things that you're not good at, because it like, like people need that community. Mm, so beautiful. One of the things that I think can be a limiting belief around this is that, so I'm an Enneagram three. <laughs> Have we talked about the Enneagram? We haven't. Before? No, I don't think so. Okay. So I'm an Enneagram three. And what that looks like in this particular piece is it's very hard for me to, I like to help others. I like to have it together. Part of the three is achiever and, and can almost have a facade of like having to keep it together. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and your so, worth, you, um, you find your worth through achievement. Yeah. You're not valued for who you are. You're mm-hmm. what, what you do. It, it, that's the core negative kind of belief under that. Right. And so, um, needing help <laughs> and asking Now you can't even say it right now, Tracy. <laughs> I can't even say it. Because I'm like, I, I come to meetings like that where people have offered to help and support and are fully like, know that that's what's happening. And I feel like I want to pay them or I want to like, I want to like get my act together. But what can so I, I can do for them. you? You know, like, <laughs> yes, because it feels like, yes, yes, all of that. So I have had to name that in those places and recognize that there will be time and there's many other times in my life in the past and will be in the future that I get to serve in that way or help others but I can't do that (laughs) until I you know break through whatever it is that I'm working on in those moments I think that what we're talking about here is vulnerability totally um you know the power of that and that connects me to something that you wrote on LinkedIn um, a little while back and you wrote this beautiful post about the conflicting feelings about work mm. travel and you talked about how it's gut-wrenching putting yourself out there we've talked about some of that but first of all I wanted to say that when I was reading that I really felt seen through your words Aww. I don't know how to explain that better but you just like cry. it resonated <laughs> It, it resonated so deeply because you gave language to things that I've wrestled with too. You neither over idealize the airplane pictures of traveling nor said it's all terrible. It, it's a both and and we can hold those two things at the same time. So I don't know if you want to talk about any of that, um, that post and what it meant for you. Uh, so it, when it comes to uplifting women, like, I, I mean, my, my core in life is to be everyone's hype girl, right? I'm an Enneagram seven, by the way. Like I don't, whether it's na- oh makes sense <laughs> whether it's nature or nurture. Sometimes people meet me and they were like, "You were definitely a cheerleader in high school," and I was like, "Not a chance. I was never a cheerleader." <laughs> but I am like in life and career. I am a cheerleader, a thousand percent. The people I cheerlead the most for are are women and introverts. Those are the people who I like to cheerlead for. There is this Adam Grant quote that it says it takes way more time whenever somebody is overconfident, you know, to, to like kind of bring them down and like help them understand leadership versus amping up and cheerleading somebody that doesn't Mm. believe in themselves. And I very much believe in that. And I think the world would be a better place if we redefine leadership Mm. in all of our organizations and spend all of that excess energy (laughs) and time into building people up and helping them move into leadership roles who are the most capable people inside of our organizations. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that is that I, I led leadership development programs for a while. And again, I'm a natural cheerleader. So people, people want to come and tell me all the things all the time, which is a gift and a curse <laughs> sometimes, but mostly a gift. <laughs> um, but I like, but I would see this trend with the, with the women mm. that I would work with and with the introverts, it would be, I, I don't want to go for that job. And, and it would be a, because I don't, you know, I don't identify with leadership. 
right? I don't like telling people what to do. There's a lot of research behind this between being prevention or promotion focused, right? Um, I, if you want me to really nerd out, I can go into the theories behind this, but I'm, I'm not going to do this right now. So it's this prevention focus. I want to do a good job. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready, right? That would be the one thing that I would see. And I'd always be like, no, you're fine. You're so smart and you do everything. Like leading a team is not that complicated. Like I'll see moms all the time that are like leading their community, leading their church, leading like they're organizing all of the things and they're like but I couldn't lead a company I'm like what are you Mm. talking about do you think these people (laughs) like we get this image in our head that these leaders and companies like are perfect and they have everything figured out and it's absolutely not true so I try to demystify that and the Mm. second thing is that I see especially with moms is that I don't want to expand my career because I don't want to travel because there's a fear that if, if there's a fear you take that next step in your career that you were going to be taking that much time away from your children. And that breaks my heart. Like, like I, I don't know how to change it. Um, maybe it'll help through me sharing my stories, right? Of some, I mean, I have two small kids and I, yeah, like I don't, I don't want people to see me on my entrepreneur journey and be like, oh, well, she has to, she never sees her kids. So I could never go mm-hmm. do that. Like, that's not the case. I, I actually did this so I could spend more time with my kids and they could get a happier, they could get a more fulfilled version of me. Right. Mm. Like, that's what I want moms to hear as well. Yeah. I have some uh, recent evidence of that playing out in the, in a long-term case study of, with an N of one, (laughs) Um, but a, (laughs) with an N of Tracy. No, it's somebody okay, else. Okay. It's somebody else. But um, <laughs> a mentor figure in my life was talking to me about some of her career journey, and she was reflecting on she thought she needed to apologize to her grown children because she traveled mm. a lot when they were young, and she had an amazing corporate job, and she loved it, but she was gone a lot. And so she thought she had to apologize, and she went to do that to her kids, and they said, what are you talking about, Mom? you loved your job. You loved us and you loved yeah. your job. And that's just how it was. And so I think that, I mean, we could go in a whole episode <laughs> about this of like why this like lands on our shoulders and why it feels that way and why there's mom guilt, no matter what we're doing in those different um, moments. But something that has helped me on this front is to think about uh, my mantra here is be where your feet are. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is, more accessible to me during times when I'm not as activated or spun up about something. But when I can get there and think about being where my feet are, then I try to be present in this moment here, getting to connect with you, be present in whatever it is, the one thing that we're doing. And since we're already nerding out, (laughs) I'm going to bring up one more reference, which is the book Thinking Fast and Slow. Mm, I love Um, that book. Super nerdy, giant book. I loved it. But the concept of we really can't multitask, Mm -hmm. like you're just switching tasks and really helps me think about how to do deep work and how to do deep connection, which is the the work of parenting is deep connection and really caring about the things that they care about. And so um, those are some things that have helped me um, around that. And to go back to a point that you made, you were talking about building up people in these workspaces. And to me, that's why I love learning and development because so part of my vision is unleashing human potential through learning experiences that are full of joy and rooted in research. And I think that that is so important in all different industries, of course, because there are humans in all different industries. But as I think about what it means to do that work, I believe there's exponential power in people. And so um, in education, if we do work around student agency, the idea of uh, helping students to be empowered and understand their progress, and then we give them some ownership over the process, process ownership and progress ownership, then we see that students are, are capable of a whole lot. Humans are capable of a whole lot. But sometimes the systems we put in place, this mm-hmm. is Todd Rose, like the systems we put in place assume, you know, that, that they can't go as far as they can, actually. Thinking about how we could even rethink the structures of learning and development 
in organizations so that we get out of the way as any sort of gatekeeper to knowledge and think about learning not just as an event, although sometimes events are great, but more as that ecosystem yeah, that totally. you're talking about. I think you were talking about that in the broader sense of like connecting other people too. But if we can build a learning ecosystem where people are it truly empowered to access the content that they need and they have pathways. Totally. It's, it's the same stuff. It's just humans. Right. And it's, how do you, how do you get people to teach each other? How do you get people to feel empowered and, and make the whole system work together so that you're not just solving problems in a vacuum. And it, you know, what's interesting. One of my favorite theories is the Pygmalion effect. Right. And, we, and I know it's talked about all the time in education, but it applies so much to the workforce too. It applies so much to leadership is that whenever you believe in people and you believe that they can do great work and the leadership development field too it's related to mcgregor x and y theory like if you believe that people are lazy they need carrots to be successful that they need to be monitored 24 7 and micromanaged you're not going to get as much productivity but if you believe if you start with the belief system that people are capable that they're innovative that they're smart and they want to do great work you're going to unleash that human potential that you're talking about it's just, it's with children it's with the people that are inside of our workplace it's and that's the same as the pygmy alien effect, right? My, the, the way that I believe in somebody will, will translate into how they show up. So yeah, no, I think that with learning and with creating systems, it's, it's all inner, it's all interconnected is like, how do you get to the core issue and really, and mm -hmm. really start working on the system there? Mm. Yeah. Also connects, I think this is shifting, or at least I'm seeing a shift, or maybe it's the people I'm following, <laughs> reading, but I think it used to be that it that people that were in the learning and development space sometimes were not at like the mm. main table the c level which is table. crazy and it seems to me like that is shifting that people are recognizing um <laughs> like it's the core like if the people are the core of the business and we need to support them why would that group be outside of the the main core decisions because it impacts where i was going with that is like that exponential power directly impacts the business so even if you think it's all like fluff or whatever you still want those people to be doing the things that they need to be doing and in order to do that you have to actually care about them and figure them out so i mean either way it's like this past this past couple years the pandemic of everyone being like you know, there's a labor shortage. It's been hard to find talent. We've been talking about the fact that 10,000 baby boomers are going to be retiring every single day for the past 10 years and that organizations have to turn into learning cultures. You have to find creative ways to educate the people who are coming into your organization so that they can fill those leadership seats, so they can fill those expertise seats. So obviously you need somebody who has an eye on that learning strategy to have a seat at the table if you're being really strategic about where your organization's going to be in the next five years and also mm. people aren't staying at your organization for 10 to 20 years anymore they're going to be coming in right. for two or three three years maybe tops so how do you get people up to speed quickly and you can't do that with outdated learning mm -hmm. it's so true um, that's my TED yeah, talk. I think these... <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. Don't yeah, get me started. We're going to get to some of the fun stuff at the end of our time together. So first of all, can you tell folks about your connection okay. with Ted Lasso and what that has meant for you? So uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've been telling you this. I, and as I've started my business, I've been making what I call internet friends. That's my handle for it. So it's my way of like networking. I, I think that I, a piece of me knew that it would happen, but I didn't know it was going to happen in the quantity and the quality that it happened, mm -hmm. where it's like I started writing and talking and making TikToks like about organizational and leadership development material. And it attracted so many people who were like, oh my God, I think that way about work. I think that way about leadership. And a lot of times when you do this work, you feel like you're all alone. And it's been just a beautiful thing that has happened, and thus this relationship as well. Um, so I, I've had this internet friend. She started her business at the same time that I started mine. And she was like reading my articles on LinkedIn, which only like four people read those articles. And we just, we hit it off and we had this instant connection. She, she like laughed at the same things I laughed at. We studied the same thing. She has this really, really interesting background. And then the second season of Ted Lasso came out and I always talk about Ted Lasso because I think that that show is a 
walking, breathing art piece of the new paradigm of leadership, of healthy leadership, of helping teams be strong, of walking into a situation and acknowledging the strengths and not just trying to fix what's broken. Like all, if you could look at all of the things that are wrong in corporate America and the mistakes that people make while leading, Ted Lasso shows you how people do it correctly. And there's this, I, and so I would make these posts about, you see how he did this. You So um, this is just an easy example I talk about sometimes when I do speaking engagements. So there's a scene where Ted has a comment box and he has all, and all the player, and yeah, right? Yes. Okay, you remember this scene? <laughs> Jamie, yeah, Jamie, Jamie puts, puts his gum, gum in it. So everyone's like telling him that he's a winker, but somebody puts in there that the shower pressure is too low and and so before Ted does anything, he goes and he listens and he fixes the shower pressure. And so like that would be an example of seat in, in the first season, how I would be like, this is organizational development at its finest. It's walking in and it's asking questions. And to our point earlier, it's taking that feedback and doing something with it. So you're establishing trust. Mm. So I would make those kind of posts. And so she made this comment where she was like, I'll be your coach beard. And we were like talking about how much we love the show. <laughs> and then we were having all these funny conversations and and I had this idea and I was like we need to record this and uh, so we did and it was sloppy and it was like not I mean we were having a lot of fun but then she she has this friend that is a professional podcaster who has a wonderful podcast and he was like okay y'all are funny <laughs> but there's actually something <laughs> here <laughs> so you need to take this a little bit more seriously and get professional about it so we took that advice and we put our hearts into it. And so we, um, so the premise of the podcast, it, 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 the first two seasons are on Ted Lasso, but we've also done the bear. We'll, we'll also probably do succession. Um, so the idea is as it grows, that we'll take TV shows that are about work or they're about like power dynamics or about leadership and we'll extract the lessons that are out of it and have, you know, banter around it. Yeah. It. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. So I was a late <laughs> uh, arrival on the Ted Lasso scene, and we don't have Apple TV because I am very strict about our monthly subscriptions. But I was you're babysitting a, my you're friend's daughter. <laughs> so I'm like, no more subscriptions. We have control. Okay. But I was babysitting my friend's daughter, and they have it. And I was like, huh, everybody's always talking about this. So I watched it, and like when she came back and baby's asleep and everything, I like had tears in my eyes, and she's like, what is wrong? And I'm like, the baby's fine. But I just discovered Ted Lasso. You were Lasso, crying by yourself. Like, I love How? it. <laughs> yes, yes. She was like, how have you not seen Ted Lasso? Like, this is your, he's like an optimist, and like, he's, it's just your show. Anyway, so... Um, and she, it's just funny when those people that know you well are like, this really is up your alley. So I have loved, um, watching it. And then I'm always pausing to see what yes. is reading and like, looking I have it the up. list. <laughs> we should share the list with everybody. <laughs> oh, it's a lot funny. of it's okay, soccer so, books. So I know we're going to yes. talk about books here in a second, but I just read this book. Um, it's about Carlo Ancelotti. So he's like one of the most famous, um, soccer coaches. And the book is called quiet leadership. I'm really curious if some of the writers like read these books and like incorporated into the show. So that's my lingering oh, question. I bet. It's a really great book though. Okay. So let's talk about book recommendations. Okay. So we've been talking about perfectionism. So my um, two favorite books on perfectionism, one is really, really old. It's her, the author is Brenda Yulin and her, and her book is called, If You Want to Write. And so it's all about like helping you express yourself and get that, you know, like that negative voice that's in your head that is preventing you from expressing yourself, preventing you from writing. A lot of people don't write because they don't feel like they're going to be like sound intelligent enough or people are going to make fun of them. And this book is, was written so long ago, but it will touch your soul. Oh my, Tracy, you'll love it. Anybody listening will love it. It's wonderful. Especially if you need some encouragement to write, which everyone, please, we need more writers in the world, more beautiful voices. Um, and then there's this other one that I just read recently that's on perfectionism. It's called Don't Overthink It. I don't know the author off the top of my head, but it's all about getting over overthinking, which I think especially for women is something that we all need help with. My leadership books, my go-to leadership books I always recommend when people are starting out and learning about the field. Um, 
by the way, there's this really beautiful statistic that once people start learning about leadership, that it, it increases the desire to learn more about it, like over 50%. So I always encourage organizations that you should make leadership programs for everyone and not just like these these few hand selected people that you think are going to be in your succession plan, like doing HR from the eighties. If you make leadership for all, it's becomes contagious. So um, when people are just getting started with leadership, I always tell them to read Leadership and Self-Deception. It's by the Arbinger Group. And then the accompanying book is that is called The Outward Mindset. So it helps. Um, a lot of my practice is about how do you create people first leadership. And I think it gives a language to understanding your thought processes of when you are only concerned about yourself. So especially when someone's a new leader, they're like, how do I make an impact? How do I make myself look good? How do I accomplish my objectives? And you need to be able to catch those mindsets and say, how do I make Tracy successful? How do I make these three people on my team successful and trust that if I do that, that my success is going to come along the way, right? It's a totally different mindset shift. And then my favorite ones of the past few years that I've been reading, um, my, my go-to recommendation is The Heart of Business. So it's, it's Hubert Jolie. He, is the, he was the CEO of Best Buy. That book is incredible. And then the, my other favorite one on culture is called Culture Renovation. The author of that is Kevin Oaks. So a few, few book recommendations for you. Tell us about, um, in terms of your business, are you accepting new clients right now? What kind of people do you want to reach out to you that hear the podcast? Oh, I actually just took my Ted, our Ted Lasso um, speaking on the road. So if you want a really, really fun hour Ooh. segment for your company conference, please contact me because it it was so healing just to have like a hundred people in the room laughing and just connecting with each other. Again, Ted Lasso is art. So that's definitely up for grabs if you want to hire me for that. And then I would say, yes, we're of course accepting new clients, you know, especially as we move to this virtual environment, the time that you spend together in person needs to be that much more connected, that much more powerful, that much more human. So that's what we can help you with. We really focus on I'm, you know, me and my business partner in this ecosystem that I have around me, it's all about expert facilitations that can help your team become stronger. So we focus a lot on leadership teams. We focus a lot on um, helping people create impactful leadership inside the organization. And it's usually with events. Like we go to conferences a lot. Uh, if people are doing a leadership offsite, that's usually where me and my team are, we'll go. That's so amazing. Okay, Kara, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for becoming oh, my new you. internet friend. And I'm just so excited to just continue to um, have our paths cross and see the amazing, beautiful impact that you're making in a space that um, <laughs> is ripe for change. And thank you for bringing your whole self to that and your whole self to your writing and everything that you do. It, it really is a gift. And it's so clear that you care so much about this work. Thanks so much for listening to the Building Thinkers podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a podcast rating and review. That helps more listeners find us in the world of podcasting algorithms. You can find out more about my learning and development strategy services at buildingthinkers.com. And remember, there's no limit to what you can learn.